Today's message is entitled, The King's Heart is in the Hand of the Lord. We continue forward in Acts chapter 18. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'll read from verses 1 through 23. The verses of focus are verses 12 through 17. I didn't update, update that in your liturgy. Verses 12 through 17 are the verses of focus. Please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible Word. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshipped God whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names in your own law, look to it yourselves. For I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sincrea, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus, and when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is faithful to his promises. The Lord is faithful to his promises. While important questions of biblical politics are connected to this text, it should not be, today's text should not be disconnected from Jesus' promise to Paul 
in verse 10. If we do that, we'd miss the central point of today's text. Jesus Christ is always faithful to His promises. He told Paul, I'm sure you remember, we just read it, I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. So today's text, we see Jesus fulfill this promise to Paul that no one would hurt him in Corinth, even though the apostate Jews are again trying to harm him or even kill him. Next, brothers and sisters, the Lord controls the hearts of all humans, including political rulers, whether they're local, like Gallio there in that region as proconsul, or even global or imperial like Claudius we saw earlier. Solomon wrote, and it is absolutely true forever and ever, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. It's Proverbs 21.1. So just like our glorious God determines the exact courses of rivers, the Lord God directs the hearts of kings to do whatever he wishes. Without exception. So when we marvel at glorious rivers, those cascading waterfalls you've seen, the carvings that you see the rivers doing, when you see these things, we should be reminded the Lord directs each drop of water and in this be encouraged that the Lord completely controls the decisions of all political rulers, past, present, and future. So it gives us a, a unique and fuller understanding of what it means that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. Yes, all political rulers must bow the knee to Him, but what they often don't realize is that their heart is controlled by Him. He is the King and controller of their hearts. Next. The Lord forbids political rulers to take up jurisdiction over his church. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only king and ruler of his church. And he is to have unmediated reign over his church. He forbids any power to come between himself and his church. He said, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. That's in Luke 20 verse 25. Now much can be said about this verse. It's full of truth various principles for us to learn from. But for sure, one major overarching timeless principle is present. The state does not have jurisdiction over the things of God. The state does not have jurisdiction over the things of God. And today we see this timeless principle somewhat on display within the Roman legal system. So the heart of the king... King is in the hand of the Lord. We'll see Gallio. We'll learn about him. There's a lot that we know about him from uh, extra-biblical sources. We'll see more persecution by the Jews against Paul and the followers of Jesus. We'll look at the specific accusations that they brought against Paul. We'll see Gallio, in God's kindness, reject and dismiss their accusations. And then he gets fed up with them and physically drives them away from the judgment seat because they just kept on and even so far as to ignore the beating of Sosthenes the ruler of the synagogue we'll see how this is an encouragement to us to know that uh, there are times when God causes the works of evil to backfire and these workers of iniquity will hang from 
the gallows that they have built. And then some questions to know and to love and to obey God. So about Gallio. Commentary tells us the governor was Gallio, deputy of Achaia, that is, proconsul. For Achaia was a consular province of the empire. Now this Gallio was elder brother to the famous Seneca. In his youth he was called Novatus, but took the name of Gallio upon his being adopted into the family of Julius Gallio. He is described by Seneca, his brother, to be a man of great ingenious and great probity, and a man of wonderful good temper. He was called Dulcis Gallio, sweet Gallio, for his sweet disposition, and is said to have been universally beloved. So, Gallio was known to be very kind and very honest and very popular amongst the Romans. Although popular, though, he was also known to be anti-Semitic. Witherington cites Seneca the Younger as describing the Jews as an accursed race. So that would be Gallio calling the Jews an accursed race. Cicero saw Jews as holding to a barbaric superstition. So broadly, Rome tended to be anti-Semitic. And we know about Gallio that he was not proconsul for long in Corinth because he got a fever. He became very ill, and it forced him to leave his proconsulate duty earlier than had been scheduled. Now, we know we can date his time there to around AD 51 to AD 52, so this is another firm date that helps us with the chronology of the book of Acts. This incident in Acts is to be dated during that particular time period. It's one of the most solid dates in Acts, just like we know the decree of Claudius was AD 49. Winter has taken a careful look at Seneca's career and says that in addition, the ancient sources show him to be a meticulous lawyer also. So his legal judgment would be made with care. So even though he was known to be kind and honest, he tended to discriminate against Jews in general. He tended to look down upon the Jews. We learn also that Gallio was a very careful lawyer, and we'll see evidences of that in his ruling. And finally, we see that he was sick. He did not complete his proconsul tenure because he became sick and he had to leave. Who knows, this may have been connected to the reason why Paul ultimately decided to leave. And we can see that Gallio's name used here helps us date the book of Acts. So, Gallio is the proconsul, and here come the Jews with their effort to bring more persecution upon Paul. It appears to be connected with Gallio's arrival as to why they chose to do it at this time. Perhaps they suspected they had some influence with him. We don't know. But in any case, just like in prior cities, just like we saw in southern Galatia, just like we saw up in Macedonia, and just like we've seen everywhere Paul has gone, The unbelieving Jews reveal their apostasy not only by rejecting their prophesied Messiah, Jesus Christ, demonstrated clearly to them in the Word of God, but they also go on to attack their Messiah's ambassadors and to seek to scare them and harm them. Commentary says, How rudely Paul is apprehended and brought before Gallio. The Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul, They were the ringleaders of all the mischief against Paul, 
and they'd entered into a confederacy to do him mischief. They were unanimous in it. They came upon him with one accord, hands joined in hand to do this wickedness towards him. They did it with violence and they did it with fury. They made an insurrection to the disturbance of the public peace and they hurried Paul away to judgment seat and for aught that appears allowed him no time to even prepare for his trial. So we see here the Jews continue, we've discussed this, they continue to fill up the measure of their guilt just as Jesus had said they would. Remember in Luke 21, the Olivet Discourse, shortly before his crucifixion, Jesus said, you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Paul spoke of the Jews in a similar fashion. We've seen this and he wrote back to Thessalonica and we saw how vicious they were towards him there. He said, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So the same vicious attacks that led to Christ's crucifixion are continuing against his people. The same strategies, the same techniques. I think it's important also as we're going through this to remember the demonic powers behind this corrupting union between the Jews and the Romans. Revelation 17, which I don't have time to get into today, but I am persuaded that what it shows us is the great harlot, which is the apostate Jews, riding the scarlet beast that is directing and controlling the scarlet beast which is the Roman Empire, unto great persecution of God's church. You can find that in Revelation 17, written before the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. And behind it all, so we've got the apostate Jews, we've got the Roman Empire there together in that vile description of their union. But behind it all, in Roman 17, Revelation 17 as well, we see the great demonic beast guiding and directing this evil. And so in today's text, we just see another example of this strategy. The apostate Jews always seek to use their influence so the Romans will use their power to destroy the church. It's the same strategy they used to murder Christ about 21 years earlier. So it's, it's good to just note here as we pass this, demonic strategy throughout history one of the great demonic strategies throughout history is to use false religion, so imposters, in the church to stir up the power of the state against God's people. It is a scheme of the devil. So what specifically, and we should remember this as we respond to what's going on in our world, in our prayers, not only do we remember that there's demonic elements behind it and we pray against them, but we do so with great joy and gladness and gratitude because Jesus Christ controls the hearts of kings. And how he does it, perhaps it's through demonic influence. Perhaps it's through Gallio's background of being anti-Semitic. He controls the hearts of kings and he is ruling and overruling all things. So we should remember this as we pray.
So what are the accusations? Here's what they said. This fellow, so Paul, persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Now it's not entirely clear whether the Jews uh, in their accusation are referencing Jewish law or Roman law or perhaps both. So if it's Jewish law, here's what they're saying. The accusation would claim that Paul is violating the Old Testament writings about how they are to worship God. And this accusation would essentially boil down to the claim that Paul's teaching and those who follow it make them non-Jews. Okay? What about Roman law? Well, there's two things to think about here. This idea of persuade is to proselytize. And Roman law did not allow for attempts to convert Roman citizens. So there, there were almost innumerable religions that had been licensed, licensed by Rome. And one of the rules was that that religion was not allowed to try to convert Roman citizens to the religion. So perhaps that was what they're referencing. Because to proselytize Roman citizens, that was a crime, according to Roman law. Or, and or, the Jews may have also been claiming Paul's religion was not licensed by Rome, which was also illegal, to go out with your religion and to spread your religion and practice your religion without permission from Rome. Commentary says, some see the charges similar to that in Philippi trying to proselytize Romans, but this does not seem to be the concern given Gallio's response later. Either sense shows that the charge appears to be slightly different from the context in Acts, the other contexts in Acts. It accuses the new faith of not being a legitimately recognized religion without raising the issue of proselytes. Josephus discusses the acceptance Judaism enjoyed from the time of Alexander all the way up to Julius Caesar, and an edict from Claudius allowed the Jews to worship. If the Jews have the right to worship, but they complain that Paul's teaching is not their faith, then Paul's faith must be illegitimate. This disturbance of the peace might therefore be something the proconsul wants to take care of, at least in the view of the Jews. Now, if we look ahead a little bit in this text, Gallio's reply does help to clear this up a little bit because he says, but if it is a question of words and names and your own law. So whatever the Jews said, Gallio heard them asking him to rule on matters of their religion. Gallio heard them saying something that made him think that he would have been ruling on matters of Jewish religion. For example, this idea of words and names we pause and think about that. If you look back a little bit, given the preaching in Corinth, what did, what did Paul do? Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews, what? That Jesus is the Christ. Words and names. It is likely the Jews brought up Paul's claims about Christ as the prophesied Messiah of the Old Testament in their discussion about why they were not Jewish. And he says, your own law. Galileo references your own law. In the mind of the Jews, Paul was guilty of blasphemy, and they may have brought this up as a capital crime within Judaism. Who knows? Maybe they were even remembering how they were able to successfully get Jesus crucified. So stepping back and again looking at the general flow of history and principles, basic maxims of understanding reality, those unbelievers within false churches who reject Jesus Christ tend to slander Christians before the civil rulers in order to bring down the power of the sword upon God's people. You know, this week, our dear brother Paul Vaughn, his 
trial will begin where he and I believe it's around 10 other Christians peacefully carried out civil disobedience before the doors of a killing center in the Nashville area. And they were arrested according to the FACE Act. And if you look at the propaganda put out by those who hate God and his kingdom, they make Paul and our brothers and sisters who are with him out to be violent and dangerous. That's the far thing from the truth. They peacefully sat down and exercised civil, civil disobedience, prepared to receive in their bodies the, the, what the law said could come upon them. So this is an example in today's world of the kind of slander that's carried, about, carried out against the people of God in order to urge and push the civil magistrate to use the sword against God's people. So part of our application today will be to pray for Paul and our brothers and sisters and that the Lord would grant them a Gallio outcome in their trial that's coming up. What was that? What did Gallio do? Well, he dismissed, he rejected the accusations against the Jews. The text says, when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you but if it is a question of words and names in your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. Now, let's just pause for a moment and remember one of the promises of Christ. You see, Paul's mind, we can tell, was filled at this moment with all the necessary concepts to make his defense. He was about to open his mouth, right? He was about to speak what the Lord had given to him at that moment. Fulfillment of Christ's promise. It will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. This, again, is also the Olivet Discourse shortly before Jesus was crucified. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. So Paul could go out peacefully, excuse me, with peace in his soul, proclaiming the gospel and not having to worry about what defense he was going to give ahead of time. Because he knew that Jesus would give it to him. And we should expect the same thing. Same thing. We should be able to go about boldly, confidently, with peace in our souls, knowing that if we are ever brought before civil magistrates as an act of persecution, the Lord will make it an occasion for us to also testify to his glory. It will be an occasion for us to also speak these things that he gives to us at that moment. So he will grant us the opportunity to preach the gospel to political rulers if we are brought before them as a result of persecution. And we don't need to worry about this Christian testimony beforehand because the Lord will work by his Holy Spirit and his word to grant faithful Christians invincible gospel words when needed during these persecutions. Good lawyers are a gift from God, and making a good legal defense is wise. And also, he will give us words to testify that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We see next that Gallio keeps himself within what he believes to be his jurisdiction. He says, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, but if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. So he understands, remember he's a meticulous lawyer, he understands that he's limited to rule only in regard to crimes as defined by Roman law. Now, it turns out that he really did have the authority, according to Roman law, to rule that the Christian church was a new religion practicing without license from Rome. 
And this crime could have brought serious sanctions against the church at that moment. So technically, he could have gone that way. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ saw otherwise in the way he worked in Gallio. You see, if he went down that path, it would have also required Gallio to determine if indeed the Christians were actually not Jews. Right? So at that point, he would have actually been needing to get into judging things within their own religion. So he just stays out of it. So Jesus, our Lord, keeping his promise to Paul that no one in Corinth would harm him, moves in Gallio's heart to steer clear of that judgment and focus upon matters very clearly under Roman law, those things he calls wrongdoing or wicked crimes. Let us pray for the judges overseeing the case against our brother Paul Vaughn and others whom we know who have sat here in our fellowship hall with us, that God would grant this same kind of movement in the heart of the judge, even though they may look at the letter of the law and see that, yeah, they violated the FACE Act, and yes, they can find them and put them in jail, that they would find them not guilty. We'll pray this today. Next, it is worth also remembering Historically, we know that the Jews throughout the Roman Empire had voluntarily placed themselves under Roman rule. How did they do this? By signing up to be recognized as a legitimate religion within the empire. And they were so serious about this, remember, that at Christ's trial, they cried out, we have no king but Caesar. And they meant it. They were referencing their glad and full submission to the Roman Empire to oversee and comment on anything they did within Judaism. Now, even though LBJ had not been born at this time, we can see, can we not, the similarities between this and the 501c3 nonsense that takes place in our country, which is utterly unnecessary because we are given the freedom we need in the U.S. Constitution. By no means does the church ever need to submit itself to the 501c3 organization and corporation in order to ensure itself the freedom to be the church. So brothers and sisters, to be an incorporated church in today's world is to do the same thing that the Jews back then did. It is to submit the doctrine and practice of the Christian church to the state and the federal government. And I want to say it as clearly as I know how, Cornerstone is not incorporated and will never be as long as we are thinking and acting biblically. And children and grandchildren, when I'm dead and in the dirt, God willing, over, over here someday, you will remember these words if this issue ever comes up. Because the lawyers of today have been taught to teach church leaders that they must incorporate. They must incorporate. And church leaders tend to fold to this pressure. May it never be so for Cornerstone until Jesus returns. Amen? You see, because here's the thing. What does it mean to be incorporated? It means to be made into a body. How are we made into a body? Only by the decree of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And so to allow ourselves to be incorporated in some other way is to, in essence, minimize and perhaps even insult the work of Christ on the cross and the way that he unites us through the work of His Spirit. I think it's worth saying that as we go through this text. Next. Gallio says, 
I should bear with you. So he was clearly irritated, right, by the Jewish presence and claims and pressure that he should rule on this matter. And we see, as we look ahead, that his patience eventually ran out with them. Okay, so what does he do? He drives the Jews away. That's what the text says. He drove them from the judgment seat. And, you know, the Romans had their guys that would have the rods. The picture here is maybe they used these rods on the Jews who wouldn't be quiet. Apparently they kept on arguing their case even after he had dismissed the case. And they wouldn't just leave. So we had to physically remove them somehow. Commentary says, if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look you to it. End it among yourselves as you can, but I will be no judge of such matters. You shall neither burden my patience with the hearing of it, nor burden my conscience with giving judgment upon it. And therefore, when they were urgent and pressing to be heard, he drove them from the judgment seat and ordered another cause to be called. And as we're going to see later, it appears as this same kind of frustration and irritation with these Jews spilled over to what happened to Sosthenes, as we'll see. So think about this. Not only does the Lord Jesus Christ protect Paul, as he said, but he goes on to do a little bit more that he didn't tell him he would do. He turns Gallio's heart against the Jews. So not only does he dismiss their request, but their plan backfires, and they are found under the hot gaze of this very kind man, this ruler that they had hoped would punish their enemies. You know, we were reading in our family reading plan the other day about Governor Tatanai, weren't we? Reading about Governor Tatanai. You recall God's work against Tatanai, the governor on the other side of the river, the book of Ezra? You see, he wanted to get Darius to stop the rebuilding of the temple. He wanted this temple to stop being built. And he sent a letter to Darius, you know, talking about how bad the Jews are and how terrible they are and rebellious they are. And you should not let them rebuild this temple because it's going to be bad for you. (laughs) Darius searches the records, and according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, you know, you can't change a prior decree. And he finds Cyrus's decree, which told him to go back and to build the temple and gave him all the stuff that the Nebuchadnezzar had taken and sent them all back. And they're building the temple. Darius rejects his request, but, similar to Gallio, goes on to do a little bit more. It backfires. Here's what he said. So he he tells them first, no, they're going to keep building. And he looks at Cyrus as he tells him about Cyrus's decree. But then he says this. Moreover, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews, for the building of this house of God. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. This is to be given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered. And whatever they need, Young bulls, rams, and lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem. Let it be given them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet aroma to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected, and let him be hanged on it, and let his house be made a refuse heap because of this. That's from Ezra 6. And I think this is the same kind of process that we see advancing when Sosthenes is beaten and Gallio takes no notice of it, decides to ignore it. 
kind of reminds you of Haman, right? He wanted somebody else to swing, but it was his neck that received that rope. So this should be encouraging to us. Not only does he control the hearts of political rulers, but sometimes he does it unto the destruction of his enemies, unto the enriching of his people. Next. So the Greeks beat the ruler of the synagogue, that's Sosthenes, and and Gallio ignores it. So that's kind of the, the final thing that we see here. And it really should be greatly encouraging to us to see this. Now, of course, we're always praying for all men to be saved, and it's like we want to see people get beat, right? But we do see here that the enemies of God, sometimes the Lord uses even confused and unbelieving civil rulers to really bring down the hammer on those who come against his people. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So just real quickly, Sosthenes is mentioned in when he writes 1 Corinthians as the letter originating from Paul and Sosthenes. So we don't know for sure it's, if it's the same Sosthenes. Uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But if it is, it's another example of another Jewish synagogue leader coming to faith like Crispus did. But probably Sosthenes is the synagogue ruler replacement for Crispus, or there was more than one synagogue uh, there in that area. It was a a big city. But in any case, the most likely understanding of what occurs to Sosthenes is this. Not only is Gallio fed up with the Jews, but all the non-Jews are also fed up with the disturbance caused by the Jews. So they take their leader... Sosthenes, right? So they're upset with the Jews for this disturbance. And who's the leader? Sosthenes. And right there within view of Gallo, they just physically batter him. They beat him. The word means they put hands on him. and He was probably bruised and he may have been bleeding after it was done. Psalm 7, Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down in his own crown. Certainly, we rejoice to see that the Lord does this in regards to the enemies of Christ. But you know, he'll do this to you too, if you scheme against people, if you scheme against those around you, if you think of ways to get even with people. You might just see that the plan that you make for someone else comes back on your own head. It's kind of in that category of don't forget to think of yourself as the bad guy in the story sometimes. Don't forget to think of yourself as the bad guy in the story when you're reading scriptures. The very forces of evil currently holding the reins of civil power in our nation, brothers and sisters, they can be immediately redirected if the Lord wills it. He controls their behavior. So how do we respond to this? What is, what is it that we should be thinking, that you should be thinking and praying and doing in response to this sermon today? Well, first of all, I hope that you will pray for Paul Vaughn and uh, Miss Eva and others uh, that this case would be dismissed, uh, that they would be found not guilty. And even that we could go on and pray for it to be turned around. And for those who are harassing and clearly um, misusing the powers of the Department of Justice, that justice would come upon them. 
as a result of this kind of misuse of power. The whole idea that the FACE Act is being applied in an unbalanced fashion, a very unbalanced fashion against Christians. So pray in that regard and be at peace as you do so because you know the Lord holds the hearts of the kings in his hand and he very well may just cause them to fall into the pit that they've dug. Next, brothers and sisters, please rejoice and give God praise today. Give him thanks from your heart today sincerely that he keeps his promises, that he does and he shall forever and ever be true to his word. Unlike you and me, who even on our best days never keep our word fully, he never fails to keep his word. Praise him for that. May your heart overflow with thankfulness in that regard. Next. The Lord controls the decisions of every single political ruler. And of course we've talked about rivers and drops of water. Will you please also today praise him and thank him for his total and complete control over every molecule, every atom, every electron, every neutron, every proton, every other on that is out there, and every thought, and praise him for his great and perfect sovereignty over all things, but specifically that you need not fear the actions of any political ruler because he holds the hearts of kings in his hand. Praise him for this today, please. Next, brothers and sisters, as a part of our prayers, we want to cry out to God to restore our world because the civil magistrate is forbidden from controlling the things that belong to God and jurisdictional separation in this matter is critical for cultural stability. Would you cry out to God that our brothers and sisters would, would repent of this forbidden idolatry and undo their 501c3 status and that this would occur in a vast, widespread manner throughout our, our nation? And that pastors who are silencing themselves because of the very real requirement that their teaching and practice must be submitted to the state would stop doing so. And they would be able to declare aloud in confidence the righteousness of Jesus Christ as it applies to the political sphere. Would you pray in this regard? And would you please pray that the Lord God would remove these evil political rulers and replace them with those who love him and desire to serve him and do his will in their, political, in their political work. And that he would raise up those who love God and who are called to this work to do this in wisdom and in love and affection for Christ. Next. Will you thank and praise God for what happened to Tathanai and what happened to Haman and for Psalm 7 that we read today that their troubles do return upon their own head and that this idea of confusion in the ranks of our enemies. Would you pray for that to occur in our world and all of these forces of darkness that have set themselves up against God and against humanity and against his people 
would fall into the own genetic injection pit that they've made for the rest of the world. And we could list other things that they've done. That they would fall into the pit. That they would either repent and return to Christ or swiftly swing from the ropes that they've created for, the, for God's people. May the Lord have His way in this. Amen, brothers and sisters. He is God. He determines the timing on this. He's not a genie in a bottle for us. But we may indeed cry out to Him for the sake of His name and His glory and for the sake of His church and His gospel in the earth. Finally, what is the state of your heart in view of today's political and cultural environment? What is the state of your heart? Are you looking fretfully at the powers and evils of the state? Are you looking gratefully to Christ? Are you looking at the godlike powers of the NSA? Or the real almighty power of Jesus Christ himself? Where, where do you focus? Do you look at the godlike powers that can apparently demolish things from space in a moment? Or are you looking at the real almighty power of the Lord Jesus Christ whose voice thunders and strips bare the trees of Lebanon and brings forth the birth of the deer? Will you trust in Him? His love for you and His care for you and walk in peace and do His will and not in any way give, give way to the fear because that is, that is, that is the devil's primary tool is to bring fear into your heart, to make you afraid. Or look to Christ and give thanks to God that you do not need to tremble where real trembling should take place is under His wrath. That you have been delivered from that and brought into friendship with the King of Kings. So are you afraid of the evil pits that are being dug? Or are you trusting in Christ's love and power? And along with our theme for this year, you know, does this enlarge your heart when you think of God in His might and in His love and in His faithfulness? When you think of His total and complete sovereignty and power over all things and His perfect faithfulness in every way to you and His endless, unfathomable affection and favor that He has placed upon you. Is your heart enlarged by this today? I hope it is. I hope that all of us will find that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength more and more as a result of today's message, as a result of our continued seeking after God and worshiping Him together as His people now and through the coming year and, and every year to come. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, how we rejoice in your faithfulness demonstrated here in the life of Paul and the work you did there through Gallio. Lord, thank you for the enemies that come against your people and how you demonstrate your love and your kindness and your power through the work of those who hate you. Lord, we do pray for our enemies, that they would be saved, that they would come out from under that true spot of trembling and fear, that they should see that they are in now the jeopardy of being your enemy, that you would save them, open their eyes, show them the truth, 
and bring them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light and life and joy and service and love for you. Oh God, bless us, we ask also, to go forth in faith, trusting in you, resting in you, and doing your will with gladness and peace day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, let us stand now and sing to God with grateful hearts for his...